Well, good afternoon and welcome to the fifth episode of Overtime. Uh, Overtime is where we just have an opportunity to talk through any of the message, anything that was left on the cutting room floor. Uh, it gives us the opportunity to answer any questions that are happening. This is our fifth week in doing it. How do you feel about that? Well, this is also our fifth microphone. Yes, this is our fifth microphone. But this one's fancy. You see it? Thanks. Look at that. Look yeah. at that thing. Thanks for those of you that yeah. have stuck with us as we're yeah. trying to figure out. We're a couple of novices trying to figure out what we're doing as we're doing it. But so, we'll feed you baby birds. Yeah. So, well, we're glad that you're here with you go. us. I don't, yep. I don't know what to say to that. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, before we kind of jump into the content, and actually this week we've only got uh, one question that was submitted to us. Come on, guys. You're going to feed us some questions. This is going to be a short podcast. I want to remind you, if you do have questions, you can email us at overtime at clcfamily.church. It uh, doesn't have to be related to the message per se. Um, it could be about anything that you're just kind of walking through and maybe you're struggling with, your opportunity to ask a uh, pastor and just a random guy, whatever. I don't know. I guess I'm a pastor, but it feels weird identifying myself as that. So, uh, <laughs> so do you, can, do you want to start over? Yeah, we should, but we're live. Should we start? So, Sorry, guys. Just for t- this, uh, strike all that from the record. I'm hoping that nobody's like you're the jury. watching right now. So anyway, wow, but so, they're going to hear this later. Well, I'm yeah. hoping that they join us right about now. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Uh, if you've got any questions, again, you can write us at overtime at clcfamily.church. Or if you're here on a weekend, on the back of the bulletin, there's a spot where you can just write down your question, drop that in the offering plates on your way out, and we'd love to be able to handle any questions. So before we kind of get to a recap, which is something that we generally always do, um, I do want to bring your attention attention to something that's brand new, pretty excited about it, just got the details and are still working through some of those The dates. Um, is our what we did last year for the very first time is that Lincoln University, the college that's literally five minutes down the road from us. You're wearing a shirt. They, I am wearing their shirt. I'm representing Lincoln today. Uh, they basically have a uh, kind of the end of their semester Christmas party. Yeah, yeah. Last year, what they did was they invited us to come and give out hot chocolate and cookies. And I don't even they invited us to do cookies. We just felt did. bad because how do we get our church involved they, with my hot chocolate? They yeah. said hot like drinks, hot like liquid, yeah, yeah. and we were like, let's bring cookies too. So mm-hmm. it was an overwhelming, incredible, awesome response. And students are still talking about it. Like yeah. at the, the move-in day in August, I had like four students come up to me and just specifically mention the cookies and how uh, incredibly blessed that they were by that. So we get the opportunity to do that once again. This year, that is going to be on December 2nd. Still figuring out the details. I've got a call that I've got to make after this podcast, and we'll get some more information on that. But we want to let you know that December 2nd, we're going to need a ton of cookies. So cookies, if you want to volunteer for it, we're going to get some volunteer things yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get all of those details put together, but I just want to give you kind of the first heads up that December 2nd, we I think that we need more than 7,000 cookies because last year we set a precedent. We did. We set a very big one, and people so, loved it, and it was great. It and was you awesome. guys got to participate and would love to do that again. It meant a lot to them. Yeah. So so it. that's kind of all the announcements that we yeah. have. As we so wait, what should they bring cookies, or what should they do with that? Uh, do you know so, yet? So here's what I'm going to say is in a couple days, we'll probably have like a sign-up or – for cookies, honestly, just that weekend before. So I think that's not December this weekend, 1st, but next weekend. Yeah, uh, December it's thirtieth and December first. All through the second, you can just show up with your cookies. Like bring it in a container that's either marked with your name on it or just a disposable one, uh, something that you don't mind not getting back. So yeah. just bring them in that weekend, that Monday, that Tuesday, yeah. and just bring all you got. Homemade is probably the best, but we'll take any cookies that you want to bring. That's right, any of them. And if you want to bring some Ziploc bags, we used a lot of those last time. We did. Because whatever cookies we had left, we put them in the Ziploc bags, or you guys did, not me, and handed them out. Well, <laughs> students actually were asking for it, and that's yeah. ended up doing it. So yeah, anyway, let's uh, let's kind of jump into the, contact, uh, the content. Um, you probably heard my hand clap because the microphone yeah. so close but i shouldn't have done that so uh this week we were in luke chapter eight so do and you, mark chapter five I think. do you want to kind of give us a, a recap of kind of what uh, we talked about this? i'll week? try to um yeah so if you've been with us week seven jesus creed kind of big idea is uh our beliefs that determine uh, uh creed is just a set of beliefs that kind of determine our behavior our uh, our actions and we all got them all sorts of different ways and so big premise is uh these creeds that we've been operating with our entire life haven't completely fulfilled us. And uh, in fact, in many ways, we've just kind of been operating kind of lost, whether it's just uh, the way that I'm going to describe it this week is 
it's like we've been cra- climbing the ladder to get on the roof, and we've just been climbing, 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 and eventually we get on the roof and realize we're on the wrong roof. And so what do you do when you cra- climb the wrong ladder, right? I mean, that's what we all kind of had in our life was we climbed the wrong ladder and uh, corporate ladder, whatever that is. And what do you do when you get on the top of the roof? And the reality is what seems to me uh, is that a lot of people just jump. And in just some devastating way, whether that's literally, figuratively. And so we're going, okay, if we have arrived at some point and it not met us where we thought it would meet us, then perhaps it's because uh, there's a better way to live. And so don't give up. Don't uh, quit on us. But, okay, how do we collectively together figure out from the wrong roof, how do we get on the right one? And so what I would argue is Jesus came to show us that. Uh, He said uh, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That's one of his claims. The thing he said is that the enemy came to... Still kill and destroy, but Jesus said, I come to give you life and life to the fullest. Another thing he says, and then he says he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through him. Those are some big creedal statements uh, that he's basically saying, if you're looking for life, a full life, and truth, and a, a permanent, eternal life, he's the answer to all those things. And so perhaps that's actually the case. And if it is the case, how do we get in on that creed? That's why we call it Jesus Creed. And so what we understand is that uh, if we have a bunch of behaviors, those behaviors are determined by our beliefs and our those beliefs are determined by our thoughts. So at some point, we got to figure out how to change our thoughts to change our beliefs. So two weeks ago, we really, really tackled the idea of how do we uh, uh, rethink what we've been thinking about. Not necessarily just change our thoughts, but come to terms with our thoughts. One of them being we can't climb the right ladder on our own, right? Like the, the, we keep climbing. We're not going to arrive at the place we like to do. We're always going up on the wrong roof. And so the reality of that is we have a condition that we have to come to terms with and uh, that's where we I believe we can find Jesus pointing and finding Jesus as the hope for all those things. And so it begins with that thought and understanding that I I can't fix myself. But just because I can't fix myself doesn't mean I can't be fixed. Right. And therefore, Jesus is the one. I really highlight that because you wrote it down last week. I'm like, oh, I guess I will start saying that. Yeah. And um, so then it's going, okay, if that's the thoughts, so that means our thoughts change our beliefs. So what are our beliefs? As uh God is so gracious to us. I believe there's a way you can understand your beliefs, understand your beliefs, and the way that which you find those is in our feelings. Yeah. So and our feelings, and that was specific to this week. Like that was a new kind of revelation. Yeah. I don't know if revelation is yeah. the right word, but like I feel like I was leaning in, and I think yeah. many of our people were leaning in to go, "How do I actually identify my my beliefs?" And that I thought that was a huge point. The feelings yeah. part of that. So yeah, let's think about that in terms of Adam and Eve in the beginning, where we see the first sin. Uh, they had some thoughts, uh-oh, we're naked, right? And then they had some behaviors. They go and hide. That's what happens. They cover themselves up. They cover themselves up with fig leaves or whatever. You go, why do you cover yourself up? And they, God comes to them and says, why did you hide? And they said, we were naked and afraid. Guess what that is? That's a feeling. So what is that feeling? What does that fear say? We go, if they were afraid, what were they afraid of? Or even better yet, who were they afraid of? And you see in that moment what happens is in the middle of that, thinking i'm i feel vulnerable and shame i feel embarrassed I'm, I'm i feel exposed and now i have this feeling and the feeling they had in that was fear but when you go when you really go okay what was that fear about it's like all of a sudden they lost trust in god yeah. they lost trust in god in that moment and they were actually fearing god now here's what's so crazy about the gospel or the, the, the scriptures in genesis 3 who's the one coming back into the garden like he's always done right. like Adam and Eve, their whole behavior changes. Everything that happens for them, that changes in that moment. Nothing changes for God. It says God walked in the garden in the cool of the night like he did every day. Who's the pursuer in this? Not us. It's God. And so so this idea that somehow our behaviors and our thoughts are what run God off or we should be afraid of, he's still consistent. He's still pursuing. He's doing all those things. And so in that moment, what we see is God begins to work on how they shouldn't be fearful of him. He shows them and he actually hears their story. They blame each other and he immediately condemns the evil one. And then put some boundaries and all this stuff. But in that, what you see is, okay, when I have these feelings, I should pay attention to those feelings. And by the way, probably feeling, feel them, but not stuff them because they actually revealing something about uh, what we believe. And so in this uh, passage, what we got to see is two different people who really both are feeling all sorts of stuff, shame, fear. Uh, but at the, at the core level, both of them had this, this big fear, fear of being exposed, fear of being ostracized, fear of never getting better. And the other one, fear of death, right? Fear of death of their, their, um, his daughter. So we looked at Luke chapter eight to go, okay, what does this tell us about what we should do with our feelings and our beliefs? And at the core of those things is when I am afraid, when we are afraid and we feel something, we have one or two places we can go. We can, or we can either look to ourselves or someone else to, to fix the problem. Right. And many of us have parents that we look to, spouses we look to. My, my history is 
I've always looked at myself as the one to fix the problem. But eventually we will run into problems that our spouse, our parents, or ourselves that we can't fix. So what do we do with that? Are we hopeless? And so kind of the big idea and all that was we kind of see these two different options that these two people in the scriptures, one who uh, has a blood disorder, one whose daughter's dying, and they have to make a decision of where they're going to go and put, bring their problem to. Right. And in faith, they take it to Jesus, right? And in fear, they would try to take care of it themselves. So my guess is they probably already take, tried to take care of themselves and all those kind of things. And so kind of the, the premise from this past week was a lot of times we've been told fear and faith are opposites, mm-hmm. but they're, they're actually the same thing. They're both faith. One is just faith in God. The other is faith in ourselves. Or so fear, the way I'd argue it is fear is just misplaced faith. And so Adam and Eve, they had fear. They misplaced their faith. They didn't run to God and said they ran to hide because they thought it was their responsibility to keep themselves covered. But when you see the end of the story, God actually slaughters an innocent animal. And it's shown that there's consequences for sin, and he literally sews together leather clothes for him. You see the first sacrifice. So in, in that moment, God comes to them and says, no, 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 I'm the one who can provide covering for you. It's not you. And so this big plan is, okay, what do we do in the middle of our feelings? Uh, what is the story we're telling ourselves? And what we got to tell ourselves is it may feel like it's not possible for us to fix it because that's probably true. But it doesn't mean it can't be fixed, and the one who can fix it is the one who created us in the first place. So what does it look like to go to Jesus with whatever these problems are and sit them at his feet and go, you're the only one who can. And so in this story, two different people, they end up at Jesus' feet. And so he's kind of got to trek through how they responded in Jesus' feet and how Jesus responded. So. Yeah, it's, this is a uh, shameless plug here, but if you haven't listened to that message, uh, please feel free to do so. If you go to clcfamily.church, go to the media page, you can either watch or listen to that uh, this past weekend's yeah. message. So I'd encourage you as, a, as another really good message. Um, just mm-hmm. one that I feel like even spoke to me really uh, deeply uh, in the yeah. sense that I just, like I, like I said, I was just really leaning into that and then identifying my beliefs by the feelings that I have, which yeah. which is unique. As I'm a, a dude. Guy, right? I'm a dude. I don't know. Because I don't have feelings. Or generally what happens is my feelings turn to anger. Yeah. Like, and then I'm just that, which is a, that is a feeling. Right. But, anger is a feeling. But I just, I, I yeah. feel like sometimes I can't identify. Mm-hmm. But leaning into that, I think is revolutionary in the sense yeah. that for me, when I start to do that and I start to ask myself, well, why do I feel this way? Or what exactly is that? Man, it's, it's just, it's transformation yeah. because now I'm going, okay, well, what does that mean? I feel that I acknowledge that I feel that now, what do I do with that? So, um, really good message. I encourage you to listen. To yeah. One thing I'd say there really sorry if you came Saturday night service or even the second service on Sunday morning had some te- technical issues we're sorting through. And so on both of those, we had some audio trouble, both times the microphone cut out. We did get a, a pretty good recording at the 9 o'clock service. So if you only kind of got half of it, it probably is worth your time going and downloading the podcast or watching it online or you can see the video. Uh, the one that is online has, has a, a pretty good quality that yeah. you should be able to sort through. So. And podcast, if you're watching on Facebook or you're watching online, just going to continue to put this out there just so that it's known. We are available. Uh, our RSS feeds are available through the yeah. Apple podcast as well as through Spotify. Um, and then I think like we're, uh, Podcast Republic is yeah. on there. So there's a couple other ones as well. Um, so if you are interested in kind of listening to this and not necessarily watching it, you can do that through uh, a couple different places. Yeah. Like I said, Apple, Spotify, uh, Podcast Republic. And I'll just also throw this out there. If you have like a default podcast that you go to and it's not listed on there, mm-hmm. all you got to do is search clcfamily.church and it should show up. Um, if you have one that you is your kind of default go-to, let us know what that is because at this point we can just host it almost yeah. anywhere that we would like. So let us yeah, know. Let's help you there. Email us there at overtime at clcfamily.church. Um, so yeah, kind of jumping back uh, into that. Um, as as you were talking, there was a question that I have. I'm trying to find it on my my page. Was I see a question mark there? Um, yeah, <laughs> I've got a lot of notes from. Oh, good from job. This, but uh, yeah, I. I I guess this was more of a personal question that I had of, was there any like correlation or connection because there's this woman that has, has a blood issue for 12 years. And then there's this daughter that's 12 years old. And so I don't know within your study, was there any, you know, connection there? Is that maybe me trying to find a connection when there isn't necessarily one? No, I, I mean, I think uh, we got got to think about a couple of things. And so I think there's some connection. And we, we really talked, I briefly talked about it in the sermon. Um, some of that is, when you're making up a story, you don't put specific numbers in like that, yeah, you know. Right. And so th- there's multiple pieces of this. One, the fact that you, uh, that both uh, Mark and Luke call this guy by name, Jairus, yeah. and tell you what his profession is. 
that is more, you know, we talk about scriptures being both timeless and timely. I mean, timeless, that same principle, those same understandings, that same kind of work that Jesus does is available to us timelessly as it was then. But timely, you got to remember that there were people 1900 years ago, uh, almost 2000 years ago now, uh, you know, 1980 years ago, 70 years ago, reading this for the first time. They would have gotten this this biography of Jesus' life, and they would have been in, in the Middle East. They would have been in Galilee, or they would have been in Judea. And as they're reading this, uh, there's some really specific stuff there. One is you would see some of these names, and they would be able to go, huh, I can go ask Jairus that question. Like I could actually go and ask him in that moment that question. I see a name. I see a person. So this, In some ways, that's like a really important footnote. That this is their way of going, you can check our references here. Yeah. So you got that. Uh, even the specifics about the number of fish, like fish when you see at, after Jesus' resurrection, he comes back and he tells Peter to throw his, and it says 153 fish. And you're going, does that matter? Like, is there 153? Is that some special weird numerology or whatever it is? And maybe, maybe we'll get that sometime. But I think ultimately what you're seeing there is these aren't make-believe stories. These are real stories that real people witnessed. And they were so overwhelmed that they're going, one, two. Three. I mean, they're counting those fish, and that is kind of um, impressed on their hearts and minds, just the reality of that. And so in some ways, it's just to firm up kind of our confidence in the Scriptures. You know, the number 12, really important number in Scriptures. you got seven, which I would uh, say is the number of completion, right? So you'll see multiple times where someone dips in the water seven times. Elijah comes, sends his servant look for a cloud seven times. There's some things in seven that it kind of says that's the number of completion at seven things get complete. So even when it's talked about forgiveness, I forgive seven and then Jesus goes 70 times seven. So it's like, not only should it be complete, it should be over and over, you know, so you see those numbers, but the number 12 in that typically is seen as a number of perfection. That's what people in the scriptures do. And that would make sense. Like, so you go, you know, if you ask the question, how many, you know, the joke is how many you know, people does it take to screw in a light bulb? The question they're asking is, what's the perfect number to do that correctly? Now, it's always a joke, right? But like, so when you go, well, how many people are needed to carry out a mission? Well, I would say, according to the scriptures, Jesus chose 12. And you're going, but one of them left. Judas left, you know, like he hung himself. So there's only 11. Nope, they actually found the 12th before they got started. So there's something about the number. In fact, for the longest time, I owned a website called 12men.com. Okay. Or .org or one of those things. I was thinking, if you start churches, give me 12 men leading their families and, you know, passionate about this. That would fund the mission, all that kind of stuff. And so there is something about that that you go, there's something really interesting there. Even you go, well, how many different, like, tribes or sons does it take to start a nation? Well, uh, you know, 12. You know, I got 12 tribes of Israel. How many folks do you need for a good basketball team? Uh, you don't need 15. That's too many. Maybe, you know, so like 12, seems, you know, like whatever that is. And so, so there's something in that that goes, if you're, in the scriptures, you see this number kind of play out. So when you first see that number, I would say Jews, uh, as they're first reading that, are, are really kind of noticing that both of those are the same. Wait, right. this is 12. Right. That's 12. But that's only for the people who are reading it in that moment. Like the people experiencing it for the first time, they don't, they're not keeping up with how long this lady's had a blood disorder. They that's just true. think that she's never going to be better. They're not keeping up with the age of the daughter. They just right. know that she's young, you know? And so at first glance, it's going, well, that seems to be kind of the most important part. But the number 12 does say, this seems to be, you know, how many, if you if you need 12 disciples to start a movement, when you get that 12th one, all of a sudden you probably poke your eyes up and go, okay, I think we're ready. Mm-hmm. When you hear about 12 tribes, okay, I think we're ready. And so there probably is something in the scriptures where this would be a really good time to kind of like draw your attention to, okay, two different people at 12, 12 years, 12 years, 12 years old, 12 years of this thing. So this has been going on for a while, but this seems to be a moment that something pretty specific and supernatural and something yeah. um, glorious and, you know, complete could, or, you know, perfect could happen in that. So I think that's probably about as far as I could go with the numbers to go. Right. That's probably somewhere a place that it would be like an exclamation point for the people, but that's right. about as right. much as I could, I would, I would feel comfortable okay. saying this is what the, the scriptures right. are saying. Right. So. Right. so it's not reading too much into that, but also seeing that there's a yeah. significance to it. Yeah. So, it's, so I'm not a big numerology guy. Like, yeah. okay, that means that God's going to come back, whatever. I just, that stuff makes me a little uncomfortable because I mean, you yeah. can make numbers. Say whatever you want them to, yeah, except for yeah. the ones in my bank account. Jeez, they just say what they I mean, don't say whatever I want them to. So anyway, we're going to keep moving on. Yeah. Uh, so with that, though, uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting, you obviously don't have a ton of time to be able to go into the backstory. Because yeah. I think that these are messages in and of themselves. But, yeah. but as we looked at Luke chapter 8, so that Luke 8 starts off interestingly where uh, where Jesus falls asleep in the back of the boat and 
kind of do you want to kind of bring yeah so yeah so that Luke eight story? begins with a bunch of people waiting on a dock right they're all waiting for him you're going okay why are they all waiting there I'll tell you I never like walking into the church with a bunch of people waiting for me <laughs> that never makes me feel good I don't like walking even to my house and they might stand at the door you know like I mean I love the, the greeting but the fact that they're all like waiting means okay there's some kind of news I don't like you know and so so you would go okay what's just happened here so we got the backstory at 12 yeah. but so it is probably important to notice, and this is in both. So if you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what's called the synoptic gospels. You would think uh, the word synoptic, or at least I thought it did for the longest time, meant something like synonym. They're similar, but it just means synopsis okay. is all that term means. But they just happen to have the same synopsis, you know. So there are three different people writing these at three different times, getting a different way, kind of sharing the perspective, which is neat. You can see some of the different perspective. But both Matthew, I mean, both Mark and Luke at least kind of, lead up to this story sharing about what Jesus has done, uh, you know, going back and forth across this, you know, the Sea of Galilee, not the Mediterranean Sea, but the Sea of Galilee, like this right. big lake in the middle. And he's, that's where he's traveling back and forth. And he's, seems to be that he's doing some work and he's traveling apart and kind of prepping this whole other area, the capitalist for some ministry that's what's right. going on. Then he's coming back. And so there's some real traveling. And so to see him, like, like when you see him in Luke chapter seven and Mark chapter four, Jesus is sleeping like, it's real easy just to bypass that and go, this is, like, he made himself such a human. Like, if there's some things that I wish I could, like, like have superpowers over, one, sleep. Never get tired. It just is a, it's just a waste, yeah. right? Like, when I sleep, yeah. it's like, I can just think about seven or create, eight more hours yeah. to be able to create more content, design something, you I know, still write want everybody something. else to sleep. Oh I my just gosh, don't want yeah. to have to need to sleep. Well, yeah. That's, so, I thought of that probably way more so, than I should have meant. So the fact that Jesus is asleep, you know, but not only that he's asleep, but everybody else is up. So it's like, this is not like, this is like, he could have hung out with them, but he was that tired. Yeah. Or maybe they were that annoying. I don't know. <laughs> you know, so either way, but the sea kind of, the waves get rough. And then Jesus is kind of come up kind of quietly. They have to come get him help, help, help. You know, yeah. like, and all that fear and all that anxiety that just, oh man, I feel that all the time. And they run to Jesus. That's smart. And the fact that he just kind of whispers calmly or speaks calmly over it and everything just just like, okay, this gives you a picture. kind of sets up the scene for what miracles right. look like. God is over all nature. Now, it doesn't feel that way right now. And I can talk about environment. And I have lots of opinions on that as I drink from my plastic straw. So don't take my opinion on that with this. But, um, I mean, like, I have, I have some opinions about us taking care of our earth, right? Because mm -hmm. God gave it to us. So, like, I don't think it's – like, I don't have these, like – I don't live in catastrophe land because my like, God knows what he's doing, but he did give us responsibility here. And I do think some of the ramifications of what we see in our world is a response to the way that we've treated it. And so there are things that even our earth is groaning as a result of, you know, all those kind of things. And so to see that God just speaks over that and he's like, well, no, there'll be a day like this isn't how it always is going to be. Like there's a day where all this will be made perfect. So you see that. Right. And then he gets off the boat and you come face to face with. Like, I mean, a scary guy. He's naked. Yeah. He is chained up in a in a cemetery in Garrison or whatever. It's called the Garrison Demoniac. And, I mean, at first glance, I go, wow, he's crazy. At second glance, I have a lot of t sympathy for him. Like, just imagine the pain. And yeah. I don't know what got him there. I'm not sure exactly how the demons work. But I think they're real. And I, I, I don't want us to focus on demonology. And I don't want us to focus on those things. But. Also, don't want to pretend like it doesn't exist. Right. I don't want to say every mental illness is a demon, but I don't want to also not say that demons don't still do damage and you know carnage in people's uh, in people's brains. Right. So you got both sides of that, and so what we see in this moment is not okay. Do we lean into that? Okay, that's so weird. I don't understand it. Let me really understand demons, or we go, no, that's not real. I think you just you just walk into the story with Jesus. He gets off the boat, and I could see it. I could see like this. You know, it almost looks like Ireland to me for some reason. Like, I know it's not, but you know, like cliffs. all the yeah, cliffs and waves rocking up against the Sea of Galilee, and it seemed really high to me for some reason. And I don't even know how he gets up there to it, but I know it's tall enough that you know they these pigs that are coming. It's like it is a it's a graphic scene in my yeah. mind, and so I just see this guy just chained up, and then to see that kind of release, just they this vitriol coming out of this guy towards yeah. Jesus, and so I, I think that we see that in people like. Like, I think about people's hearts who are so hardened to who God was because of what people have done to him. And, like, I don't even know what this guy's gone through. I don't know why he was chained up. I don't know what he's done. I have no idea. I just know that to see the picture somewhere in there where all of a sudden he he just feels soft. And, and then you see these things get 
uh, empty out in these demons into these pigs and they run off and then to see the next scene which they're going I mean people are freaking out it makes sense they'd be right. freaking out the guy doesn't even know what to do all he knows to do is that's the one person who's ever provided some care for him and he wants to go with him and so it's really hard not to kind of highlight all this in the story to go this is what this is what's happening but let's right. go here's the clump which is why I got glad we got a few minutes here yeah. so what I do think I wish I could highlight and, and it wasn't for the sermon doesn't even fit in the sermon but there's some really critical things that happen in these moments where Jesus gives this guy healing and you go, okay, what yeah. do you do next if you found healing? Right. Right. Like if you found this, if you, if, what do you do next? And so uh, in the church world, typically our response is, okay, you got to go to church. You got to tuck in your shirt. You got to get the Sunday school class or whatever it is. Christianity 101, 201, 301, right. 401, 501, fill out your background checks, get your thumbprints, you know, just imagine this, this litany of stuff that has to happen now for you to participate in the gospel. And, you see in this moment, this guy's going, they're, like, they're running Jesus off. This guy doesn't have any family probably. Like he's a loner. And so he goes towards Jesus and he's getting a boat and he's trying to get in the boat with him. And this is complicated and Jesus won't let him in the boat. Yeah. Which is really, really strange that you would think of all the people, God just saved him. He loves him more than anybody. It almost seems like it's cold or like yeah, heartless. Like, 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 like he's such a celebrity going, I don't have time for you. You right, know, like right. he's got his arms around, right. keeping him out of the limo or whatever it is. <laughs> but... So then he sends you back and he basically says, no, no, go back. And there's, and you know, that is, he feels abandoned. Like Jesus abandoned him. But if, if I could play out the whole story, he goes back oh, to right. Capernaum. He does some really neat stuff. And then the next time you find him coming back into, I don't want to say Mark 8. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Mark 8. Uh, I think it's 8, 7, 8, 9. And, uh, he comes back to Decapolis. That means, you know, like Metropolis is like a, you know, it's a, like Decapolis means a, a city of 10, like 10 little cities, all pagan cities. They are people that ran Jesus off or they yeah. come back there. And when he comes back the next time, this is where Jesus feeds the multitude. I think it's the 4,000 and that one. So you got 4,000 okay. plus your wife's kids, so at least 10,000 people. And you go, well, how do they know this story? Well, because this guy kind of right. walked in the story. So I really want people to understand there's something really important about sharing their story because this guy didn't need more right. Bible classes. Right. Right. And I would just argue to all of you, like, you're like, I can't share this because I don't know. And like, you don't need more Bible classes. You need That's kind good. of three things. This is who I was. Yeah. This is what happened. Right. This is what's going on in my life now. Right. This is who right. I was. Here's what happened. Here's how I came to this repentance, this understanding. Right. And now here's here's what's going on in my life now. Right. And so that's it. That, that, and that's and that's exactly what a testimony is. I think so many Christians get hung yeah. up on well, my story isn't as elaborate as, you know, I went out and I murdered three people and did all these drugs and like, I'm not that lucky. I wish I could have done like, those. I wish so, yeah. I had a testimony yeah. like that. But the reality is, yeah. is that's all that it yeah. takes is, is to share a testimony, is to say this is what life was yeah. like, this is what Jesus did. And now this is what life is like now. Yeah. So I think that that's really good. So that's why I'm, I'm jealous of Christian Hessling because he's got that tattoo on his arm. And I'm like, you know, he's got to have a past. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know who Christian is, he's on staff uh, with us. He does a Saturday night. And he definitely doesn't have a past. It's so boring. We love Christian. We do love he, Christian. He's a good guy. We also love to make fun of Christian. So there's that. Yeah. But I, I, I can imagine what it would have been like. So as we're looking at the yeah. beginning of Luke chapter 8, because I think. Oh, yeah. We're getting this, to get back there. This t- you kind of picked up at verse 40, I think it was. But can you imagine mm. what it was like for the disciples that day? Like, so they go from, you know, seeing Jesus quiet the storm to this demoniac. And then back into verse 40. Like, can you imagine what that day would have been like for them? Like, I feel like I'd just be a little bit on overload of going, wow, he, he has power over not only the natural, but the supernatural. And, yeah. and I know that as the disciples walk with Jesus, what you see is them make exclamations like, you are the Messiah. And, like, and certain ones, like Peter specifically, like, to whom should we go? Like, only you have the words of eternal life. Yeah. But imagine what it would have been like to be in the disciples' shoes as they're seeing these events unfold. To go from drastic fear to, I would imagine, seeing this, this demon showing yeah. up to, again, fear. But then Jesus seeing that, I, I don't know. I just, I guess that's my thought in it. it yeah. Insane. So, it, I mean, I imagine they're exhausted. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's the thing. And that's what I love. Like... I'll just be honest with you. There's probably nothing you could confess to me that I'd go, what? You know, like someone did that. Like, I think it's just 20 yeah. years of, of growing up in ministry with my dad. And then uh, like 18, 17, 18 years in the middle of this. It's just right. like you just get to the point where nothing really surprises you anymore. Right. Right. Which in many ways takes away that, you know, that having to prepare for the next crazy thing. Yeah. You know, and so, I mean – you can imagine for the disciples, probably the first couple of days, they're probably thinking about, okay, where do I take my food? Do I need to take this? Do I need to do this? And then they're probably, I don't know, a month in, they're going, 
they were just throwing all the plans out, yeah. saying, there's no way we can predict this. Yeah, like, yeah, so yeah. every time, like, there's just no way. I didn't think Peter would walk on water. You're like, this. Right. So I think there is this really important part of the gospel story that says we just throw out expectations. Yeah. Not by, like, and we don't throw them out saying, here's our expectations. We just go, we don't really have expectations. And that, it goes kind of back to that same thing with the garrison demoniac. Uh, the discipleship mechanism that most of us have used in the church is the just-in-case model. Right. That's bring people in and let's tell them all the stuff just in case. What if someone asks them about this? Or what if someone, remember, everybody should have prepared to give a defense of their faith. So let's give them all the things that someone could possibly ask them at some point and then let's just overload them. What if a homosexual comes up to you and wants to talk? What do you do? What do you do? What do you say? What if they ask? What do they ask about marriage? What do they ask about sexuality? What if they, you know, all these guys are like, oh my gosh, you know, like, yeah. and everybody goes, I don't, I, I can't do any of that stuff. I don't even yeah. know. I'm not sure how I feel about that, much less, no, you tell me how I should feel about it. And so, that's a that's the just in case mentality, but never in the scriptures do you see Jesus kind of like give them a ton of plans. In fact, <laughs> there's times where he takes them and pairs them up in twos. He goes one, two, one, uh, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. One's over here, two's over here, right? And then he says, Okay, don't take anything with you. Like put all your stuff down, no wallet, no thing. And then we just go to neighboring towns. Yeah. And go find what it says people of peace. Really important thing that we gotta figure out at some point. And uh what he's really doing is he's taking out all their all their security. There is no just in case. And what happens instead, which I think is the beauty of the gospel and discipleship, is it's not just in case, it's just in time. Yeah. Like, do we trust that God's going to come through just in time? And so when you think about this Pong thing going on across the Sea of Galilee and all these disciples, I think in some ways Jesus is kind of sculpting them away from their expectations and their security and their own confidence themselves because that's where i go i go how can i control this what's the worst case scenario i can do this and so these guys are going we just got ran out of one town we couldn't even hang out in jesus's hometown but just a week ago we were in samaria and those guys were throwing us a party like none of it made any sense because it's like i mean what jesus even said a couple weeks ago he said where the wind blows the wind blows like this idea that god is doing his thing and he's inviting us into the story but some of that is just picking up our control and our security and i'm gonna sit that at your feet jesus and so yeah i am sure they're overwhelmed and exhausted and would have liked to have been able to sit and process that stuff and i'm sure they're cutting their eyes at each other going what is this what's going on and you can but I'm, i'm sure it's overwhelming and yet, it just seems to be the way that God kind of works yeah. in all those things. You go, no, you cannot predict the Spirit of God, right? And yeah. so I love what how the Spirit's described in Acts. It's so messed up. Um, when the Holy Spirit's described, it's described as two different things. One is described as fire. Mm-hmm. The other one is wind. Mm-hmm. Think about what's going on in California right now, right? Like, I mean, yeah. that is a – like, not surrendered to the Lord, that is a – dangerous right. cocktail right. but the way by which it spreads is going this is what you got to see how the spirit moves it's mm-hmm. fire and wind it moves where it goes where the wind takes it and so at some point the call of being a disciple is just going i guess i'm just going to get on the boat and see where this takes me next and I'm, okay jesus is getting off on the dock i guess i'll get off with him and trying to live in that light which is hard for us yeah. and i can imagine it was hard for the disciples as well so i i think i'm i'm listening to that answer and i'm kind of a follow-up question so if jesus was doing that kind of disrupting the life yeah. of the disciples. What I'm hearing is that we should expect the same thing. Yes. Um, this is where I think it's really important to go. Over and over again, you see it in the scriptures, Jesus is comforting the afflicted, but he is afflicting the comfortable. Like mm-hmm. part of part of the move of the gospel in the first century was a disruption to society mm-hmm. in every way. It it literally flipped it on its head. Like it just flipped it. It flipped everything. It flipped yeah. the way you viewed money, flipped the way you viewed marriage, flipped the way you viewed love, flipped the way you view anger, like all these things. And so it was a huge disruptor in those things. And so if all we could read in the scriptures is where Jesus would invite people in and the story is better than they could ever imagine, but it was never what they imagined, right? Right. It was better than all that. Then if that's the case, then why wouldn't he keep doing that? Yeah. Like if that's the way by which Jesus grows us and allows us to hold on to him and trust him, we don't learn to trust Jesus in the middle of our comfort. Right, right. I don't know any of us who ever have to go, wow, Jesus, my life was so comfortable, so I just knew there had to be a God out there. Yeah. Like we, that's just not, the. unfortunately, right. that's not the journey by which you come. It's actually when we cling to him and we crowd to him because most of the time we have no other option that we finally see that, yeah. that he's there. And so it just seems to be, what I, what I tell people all the time is what, what creates tension gets your attention, right? Right. It's just what creates tension is what gets your attention. Like you think about tests and you think about all these different things, even all those kind of ways. But when you think about the moments of real tension in your life, you can a lot of times visualize where you are. Like you're present in that moment. And so it would make sense that that would be where God would make himself the most known to us because that's where we're the most positioned 
to receive it. So it's, and now it stinks, by yeah, the way. That's what I was gonna say. Is that yeah. that's what's amazing? Is that I feel like I know that. Yeah. Yet every time that happens, there's this desire in me to flee. Like yeah. I just don't want to get away from it. I don't want to do that. I don't want to work on that. Like, and it's just amazing because I should have this perspective. However, every single time, I wish I could say that I, I had a better track record. Yeah. But every single time, it's like that. But um, kind of moving on, I, I guess I, I have a question. One of the things that I really enjoy in, um, in Luke 8 is kind of the tenacity of this woman, like the boldness that she has. And, and you had talked about over the weekend kind of the Levitical law and yeah. what was required or what would have been asked of her of, of being unclean and not being able to be in the synagogue and, and around people and how that would have impacted her relationships. So I just, I've always really been impressed with how this woman pressed in through the crowd, even though she shouldn't have. Yeah. And then Jesus's response even to her. So I guess I want to give you an opportunity if there's anything there. And like I said, we've got one question, but yeah. I'm not really in a rush to get to it. But yeah. But is there anything there from this woman's perspective that was left out that you wanted to share about or anything? One thing in particular, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, like, the scriptures are so nuanced, and that's why I talk too long and too much every single <laughs> week because there's always so much more to share. Like, in every single passage, there's just so much beauty in what God is revealing. Like, yeah. So you got real people in a real scenario. You got lots of people responding to this. You got the disciples. You got all these other people witnessing it. You got death, and you got this lonely lady, and all those feelings are real, you know, and— <laughs> But what, you know, and then you got miracles, which what we kind of talked about this past weekend is when God does a miracle, it's not that he's like intervening in our world. He's actually setting our world back to the way it was supposed to be. Like, oh, let me mess up the world we're in to give you just something cute. No, he's actually showing you a picture of the way the world will one day be. There will one day be. And so when you look at it that way, you, you're kind of dealing um, with um, two big issues. One is death. What do we do with death? But the other one it has to deal with in terms of cleanliness. Like... When we think about, like, if we sing songs about becoming white as snow, like, there, there's this, this idea that there is this purification that we all know needs to happen to us. Like, there is just a, a level of, you know, like, the way that um, my kids learned it when they were early growing up. So, like, you know, preschool, particularly Briggs, and I'm, I'm Briggs for sure, but Amelia, we used kind of the term dirty heart. Because okay. I couldn't talk about total depravity, but it's like, <laughs> there was this thing that we understood. There was something dirty about our heart. And so... What you're dealing with here is, okay, both death, which is looming out there, way out in the distance, hopefully, for many of us, but it's looming for all of us. Right. I mean, it's, the, it's the great equalizer. We'll all face it. It doesn't matter if you're a celebrity or a homeless person. Same exact ending for you. At some point, your heart will stop beating. There's right. lots of different reasons why that happens, but you will stop breathing. Your heart will stop beating at the end. Right. And so for all humankind, we got to deal with that. And so that one seems to be the easier one to deal with. Okay, how— what does that mean? We all ask questions about what happens after you die. And so Jesus does get to that one. But the other question that nobody really wants to talk about is this understanding of our dirty heart. Mm. Like there is something unclean about us. Mm. And it's something that makes us want to hide, not talk about it. But all of us, if we're really being honest, and that, that's really hard for us, there are parts of us we don't like about ourselves, right? right? The right. person who talks the most negative to us is us. Right. Like our biggest enemy isn't even a demon out there. Our biggest enemy in our world is us. And like, that's all humankind. And so you got that piece. And it seems weird that the other one, that at the forefront, the sandwich, you know, first thing at the end, then Mark is called a Mark and sandwich. Like there's something about the middle one that you pay attention to when you get these kind of bookends, right? right. So it's really easy to go, yep, we're dealing with death and sadness and grief. We get all that. A helpless dad, baby girl. We know those stories. We want to give money to those stories. Right. But in the middle of that is the other one that's looming, which yeah. is, the unclean lady. Yeah. Now, we cannot talk about the uncleanliness, one, because it makes us really uncomfortable in Levitical law about, you know, blood discharges and women right. and even that stuff. Like, I'm, I'm not equipped to handle it. I don't right. like going to, I don't like buying stuff at, the, you know, the, the grocery store. Like, all that stuff just makes me uncomfortable. You know, like, I turn red. I don't want to talk about it. All those kind of things. And so you got that piece. I don't really feel equipped to really talk about that. But I would say first century Jewish law, they understood the ramifications of the uncleanliness mm -hmm. and what to deal with. And, uh, hopefully for a lot of these ladies, it was a very short time. It was a time they would be able to just stay home. So you're talking about whatever, it's three days, seven, eight days. That was just a blip and they're back to their life and they just go about it. And so they would have arranged their life around that. They had arranged their life around that. They would not go into the synagogue. They would arrange their life around that. What happens is when that was going to be three to seven, eight days, nine days, you now extends for 12 years. Right. So for this lady, 
there were whispers everywhere. So what was forefront is while no one else could talk about their uncleanliness, and yet they were unclean, right? right. They were all whispering about hers. And so she was living in a, this isn't a big town. Capernaum was the size of our piece of property, 60 yeah. acres maybe, right? They shared walls on their houses, you know, like there's all sorts of complications. So it wasn't like this woman was just some random person. Like they knew who she was. So the idea that she's got to come so boldly to Jesus in her uncleanliness and risk everything for it, risk everything. Like people would have been yelling at her, pointing at her, unclean, unclean. Everybody who had come in contact with her would have had to have gone through some crazy ritual so that they could go back and worship God. So Jesus should not have been able to go into this house as a result of the fact that she touched him. So I don't get time to kind of, kind of really shape all that in a Sunday morning, but it's really significant that her uncleanliness meant that she was not able to connect in the way that God longed for her to, which is a picture of all of us. Like when we think about our broken relationships, we most of that has to do with communication. And most of the communication that we have in our relationships is either because of something coming out of our heart or something going into it mm-hmm. on one way or the other, the way that we filter what's said or the way that we say things that aren't filtered create all this. It's uncleanliness. Right. So we're seeing like a literal picture of what happens everywhere we look in our church, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our homes. Like what the the real disconnect in our life and in our brokenness is a result of our uncleanliness. Yeah. So in this one, you just see this woman who's having to personify all that. So you can just see this helplessness. Like, what do I do? She's probably tried everything. She's, you know, she would have done everything. If there's internet, she would have searched it, right? She would okay, what do I do? Like, she would have been on whatever, like watching YouTube videos, going to get whatever, trying to hide it. I mean, it just, it was in a place of helplessness. And so what we see here is we see that Jesus is not just, he's dealing in the weeds, in the mess where he'd be whispered about. And people would go, wow, I can't believe you did that. That is not what a holy guy would do, right? right? This picture of what a holy person is. He gets in the middle of that. And why does he get in the middle of it? Because he's dealing with un- uncleanliness, right? And we're not talking about hygiene. We're talking about the state of a human being. Yeah. And that's just the reality of all of us. And so I think I think that's really significant to go, yeah, this woman was in her most vulnerable place. Couldn't trust anyone at this point. Yeah. She just couldn't send someone because I'm going, if I had a friend, I'd probably send them and go see if I can get Jesus' attention right, the way right. that Jairus does it for his daughter. Just imagine that she's not in a spot to do that. It's got to be really pretty difficult you know so yeah so it it transitions kind of pretty quickly because i mean jesus is setting out to see jarius yeah how do you say i think it's jairus there's only one i j i r u s i think i've always said jarius too i I think i've always said it wrong so so he's going to see her daughter Mm. and then all of a sudden this woman kind of there's an exchange but then it quickly transitions because it's master you know yeah don't bother don't bother the teacher anymore yeah. she's dead like yeah. really as you were talking about on the, over the weekend kind of insensitive like yeah. oh she's dead it's yeah. fine let's move on yeah but it, it transitions quickly so I, I don't i don't think i've ever found any answer to this but we don't have any idea kind of what happened to this woman i mean she's not really she doesn't have a name like we don't really we can only speculate as to yeah. what came of her and then kind of the transition to this other young daughter is what you said. And one of the things I wrote down, you said that the only time that Jesus used the word daughter was in verse 48. So, to, the, to this unclean to, woman. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah to okay. this, this unclean woman. So I just was kind of curious how that, I, I don't know, if we knew the ending to that and then kind of transitioning over yeah. to this 12-year-old who's now just dead and yeah. don't bother to teach her. So we don't know much. I mean, I didn't, I didn't research it. You know, yeah. like even the woman at the well a couple weeks ago, the church history will capture that she was considered a saint in the first century and uh, she has a name and all those kind of things. And I, but I mean, like to me, where my passion is the Bible and so I just want to, I want to give you what's there yeah. and go, this is where it is. And yeah, so yeah. don't know much there. I didn't research too much more of a story. Like in church history, I don't know anything in terms of what in the scriptures right, that would right. come back up. What, what we do know is he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go and live in peace. And so I would say what we know about her is she, if the God of the universe has prophesied that over her, we can trust that to be true. So right. I would say first and foremost that uh, she lived in peace somewhere. Um, and so I think that's pretty important. I don't so I don't know. I don't know what community looks like for her um, and all that. I don't know if she jumps in. I don't know if uh, like she goes back to the synagogue. I, I don't know if she starts a small group. I don't know if she, yeah, I mean, I have no idea. I mean, yeah. I mean perhaps maybe she has a child now. Maybe she gets yeah, married. Like, we just don't know the story. And so right. um, I think that story matters to God. Right. And I think one day in community, we'll get to know it. 
in heaven. Like I, I think that there's something to celebrate there. And I think people started to start hearing her story. And right. I do. But so I think the three pieces there that we do know is he called her daughter. Really, really important. That means he is setting the world back right. Yeah. So big picture is the God of the universe is our heavenly father. Children go astray. Big brother comes and rescues us. Right. Which is what should have happened in the prodigal son story. Right. Yeah. Uh, one brother goes off. The other brother sulks. And you go, well, what should that brother have done? Right. He should have gone into Africa. Right, you know, he right. should have gone wherever it was. And, you know, and so so we see the opposite of that. We see we see that our Heavenly Father pursue us as Jesus who invites us in, Son of Man, come Son of God, so that the sons and daughters of man can become sons and daughters of God, right? And so we see, calls her daughter, so he's given us a picture of restorative relationship and gives us a picture of what it looks like to have someone to count on, yeah. right? And I think that's the piece. I think my daughters, I certainly hope, get this. Yeah. I hope they get that. They don't like there are things that they should never be fearful of because they got a dad. It's right. got a dad. Like, there's no way I'm going to ever let a lot of those things. Like, they, they's got a dad. There's never a time that they can't come back to me and they will not sit on my lap. There's just never a time. They's got a dad, right? And so she gets that. Then she, you hear healing. That's a real good picture of this is the best life she's ever had. Mm-hmm. Like, now she's going to Walmart, right? And she's going, like, she was worse than incarcerated. Yeah. Right. If you think about her story, like, just. Worse than that, like so all of a sudden she gets to come out in the light. So there's something really beautiful about that's the picture of the kingdom of God now. It's not just that one day she'll get there. It's that now she gets to embrace it. And the third one is is that she gets to go live in peace. Like yeah. there's something about you think about the anxiety and the, the the feelings that are in her heart. So you're going, okay, new beliefs. And what do you see now? You get some new feelings. What's that new feeling? It's a feeling of peace. It's one of deep breathing because all of a sudden she knows that there's a God who can restore it all. So I think there's a lot in that. That's all I can really go. That, that we know for her. Which is really beautiful. And honestly, what I want for everybody else. I want you to know that you're a child of God. And that the healing is available to you right now. There's like Maybe that's not the healing you want in your body, but there's healing. Like you can stand completely right before God, as Jesus does here. And as a result, you can get peace. So mm-hmm. while we don't know the rest of the story, we do know that's the story that I really want for all of us. That's the story I want for me. The story I want for my kid. So mm-hmm. they would know that they're children of God that they can have healing, and that they can walk in peace. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. I feel like I want to get to this okay. last question, so I'm going to kind of quickly go through the, yeah. the last part of this. Okay. Because as we turn our attention to the <laughs> the dead girl, right? Yeah. Like, as we turn yeah. our attention there, I thought it was really um, awesome. What you had kind of pointed out was that Jesus was the first person that as he brings her back to life, that she's the first person that he she hears, that he is the first person that he, you know, takes her hand. So she's yeah. the first one that, uh, or sees, hears, touches, sees, hears, touches. Probably yes. smells, yeah. Yeah, so I just thought that that was such an incredible picture, and it just even reiterated what you were talking yeah. about of miracles. It was a yeah. picture, like it was making things right the way that they should be. Yeah, 12-year-olds should never die. Yeah. They just so, shouldn't. So I guess yeah. my question in that is just uh, as kind of a, a quick overview, yeah. moving on to the question. I noticed the word quick. Thanks, Is sir. there any... <laughs> Is there anything else that you would add from the story just as kind of that's the last part we haven't really touched on for today? And then get to the question. No, I think, well, yeah, there is. There's always something. Um, I think the big question there is, does Jesus have to be in the house? Yeah. Absolutely not. By the way, if you count the number of people in the room, Peter, James, John, Jesus, mom and dad, got seven adults. That's seven. I don't don't know. Peter, James, John. Mom, dad, Jesus, and little girl. You're right. Seven. Right. So you got was, 12. Sorry, yeah. So, so you got seven. Number of completion. Not that, I mean, I don't know if it's worth, but it is interesting. You go, oh, here it is. <laughs> Just in the seance, you know, and I got some, but something happens there. So that's pretty neat. But I, I think the piece that this is really, really important to get there is he doesn't have to go in the room. Mm. Like, he doesn't have to, but he wants to, right? And you go, well, what is it that he wants? Boy, he really wants us to know how much he loves us. Like, he, we've seen other times in scriptures where he heals, go, go, your faith is healed. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, but there is, so you go, this can't just be just about bringing the dead girl back to life. There's something in this that we have to see, and it's got to be that he holds her little hand and speaks to her, and he just says, hey, get up. It's morning. Let's get some breakfast. Like, you know, like literally, hey, get her something. Like, like that's a Pretty profound, yeah. I think. And so, by the way, it probably is sometime around morning, if you think about it, because he keeps traveling back and forth through the night. And So, like, for this little girl, she just wakes up and going, you know, like, what, what what's going on? And so here he is. And so I do think there's – I was thinking about this as I was preaching. I just, you know, hundreds of people in the room, but familiar people's stories, and just know of some folks that have dealt with death, yeah. like losing a loved one, a dad, a spouse, whatever it is. And, like, just imagining that – 
Well, I don't know if it's healing or comfort to go. The moment that they open their eyes for the next time, which I believe wholeheartedly, they saw Jesus, they heard Jesus, they felt yeah. Jesus, they experienced Jesus, and they were as perfect as they could ever be. Mm. You know, there's just something really important in that to see that's really easy for us to miss. And so it's not comforting for us because it's still painful. But if that's true, which I believe it's true, then that changes everything about how we engage in this world and engage in pain and engage in death because there is a healer who makes all things whole and right again. And while it won't happen always the time we want to, and I don't want us to see that's the story. Jesus just does that. He comes in and he fixes all the things all the way. You know, he's given us a glimpse of what's going to happen to all of us one day. Right. Just not every that day. So I think it's pretty beautiful that the way that it happens. And I really do like the imagery of going, Imagine he's wiping those tears from her eyes, going, oh, yeah. no, 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 baby, just oh, no, no. Problem. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, there'll be a day where they'll wipe away all those tears and all yeah. the pain and all that sorrow. And that means all of our pain. That means even the stupid stuff we did to ourselves. That means the first time, in my, my opinion, someone who took their own life in the middle of their pain who loved Jesus and just the, that anguish, their eyes open and there God is. There's Jesus going, oh, buddy, yeah. come here. Like, I can't imagine. I can't imagine because I've been there, but. That pain, oh, there's no more of that. There's no more of that. You know, there's just yeah. something beautiful about that that we got to see in this guy, this suffering Savior who meets us where we are. So, yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right, so uh, we'll jump into the, the one question that we have. It's uh, I think it's a little bit more of a follow-up from a question that was probably uh, last week. So yeah. this is, this is, I'm just going to read it word for word. It says, Josh quoted the three-sentence passage where we need to reduce and Jesus needs to increase in our lives. But unfortunately, I can't really figure out what exactly that means or how to accomplish that. I know I'm hopelessly broken and can't fix myself, but how do I let Jesus take over? And then in parentheses, this person puts, sorry, but I'm an action-oriented engineer and it's just uh, too subtle for me. Can you help me with this? Yes, I think we were talking about John 3.30, the three-word thing probably, the he must increase, I must decrease, the he must as one, increase as two, and as a result of decrease. So. So the idea is not that we try to decrease, we invite Jesus to increase in us. And um, I can imagine uh, why that uh, sounds fairly ethereal, like, okay, yeah. out here, lofty, how, how do we do that? And um, I, I think it's a good question because I, I live in that world and, you know, like, but you got passages, you got Mary and Martha, where Martha is doing all the stuff and she's asking Jesus to discipline, you know. Mary for sitting still and Jesus right. goes well no what she's doing is the right thing in fact the only thing that matters which you would think in that moment really discounts what Martha's doing <laughs> yeah. because it really discounts what Martha's doing and I don't really like Martha's I like I mean I don't like Mary's I like Martha's right. I don't understand them I mean I like them like I just I don't connect with them because I'm a doer right yeah and so I think uh part of bad teaching would be that means you do nothing part of good teaching is to go well have you already sat at Jesus' feet mm-hmm. So the way that I usually try, you know, the way that I usually try to describe it, you think about uh, John 15, uh, uh, you know, uh, abide in me, remain in me, because apart from me, I can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the vine, you know, like my father's the vine, vine dresser, all those kind of things. Where this idea that what you're supposed to do is just supposed to sit still. Um, that's really, really hard for me. And so typically the way I describe it is I imagine, and one day I still long for this. I don't know what the Lord's going to do. It gives me this heart. I'm not sure, but like I still love orphans and one day want to, go get one, you know, like go pick them up, love them. Like I'm talking about and, you know, orphanage type yeah, of thing. Right. And I, you know, there's, there's studies particularly in Eastern Europe of orphanages where babies have just been kind of almost kept in like baby cells, like little right, cribs right. are not touched and they're just shaking all that stuff and never been human touch. And so part of the story that I imagine is going to go and pick them up, not even be able to speak the same language and invite them in and hug them and say, I'm your dad now, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And um, the reality is they're not going to receive that well. Like, so I would just sit down and I mean, if my whole family goes, I'm beating the rest of the family to the kid and they're inside. I can I just sit there and hold them. And you can imagine the flailing of the arms, right? And I think that question gets to what I am. I'm just flailing like, okay, I don't know what to do. This feels so weird. You I mean, just sit. How do I sit, right? Yeah. And then, but I imagine as I continue to hold and go, no, it's going to be okay. Like, he'd feel my warmth or she'd feel my warmth and she'd be comfortable. And I would go, I'm not going anywhere. I'd be whispering these things that they wouldn't even be able to understand yet. But I imagine one of two things is going to happen. I talked I talk about this a couple of years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Either out of sheer exhaustion, that person's finally just going to go, they're not letting me go. Right. Right. And so for many of us, the way by which we come to abide in Christ, just out of sheer exhaustion, going, okay, he's not going to let me go. And I am just finding it. Or 
Or maybe that little kid is going to come to some awareness and goes, maybe this guy really does love me, right? And then finally, at some point, he's just going to relax. Now, it doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. He's probably going to cry. No, here's the really neat thing. But the way that I describe it is as he relaxes, sits on my leg, I would probably be pointing at the rest of the family, right? There's your brother. There's your sister. There's your other sister. There's your mom. She's awesome. Going to make really good baked oatmeal, whatever it is. Now, he's not understanding it all, but he's starting to pick it up because now he's seeing from my perspective. So, like he's seeing from my perspective. So this doesn't mean that he'll never be a sibling. It doesn't mean that he'd never participate in the family chores. Those are all responsibilities, but those are all responsibilities that come from sitting with his father and seeing his dad's perspective first. So it's not that we're not supposed to do anything. It's just there is this responsibility that our first and foremost, we have to abide in him and relax. And by that, I mean sit in his lap and see things the way that he sees things. And that doesn't happen instantaneously. Instantaneously, It means we got to sit with him and know his heart, know his affection, and see people the way that other people see him. Frankly, just to be very candid with you, as I think about our church and think about our community, one of the things that I have lost in me is I just have this deep, deep sadness and compassion for lost people. But as you get into a busy church life, lots of people, lots of stuff, I get so focused on everything that's happened here that I'm finding that that empathy and passion is dwindling. And I'm really, really scared of it. Like, why in the world would I do this job if it's not, first and foremost, because I love the same people that Jesus loved. He's came to seek and seek others lost. So right now, what I'm trying to do personally is sit before God for the next 30 days. This is day three of this. I'm going, because I've been sitting still with him going, okay, God, what is it you want me to do? And I think what he's telling me is he wants me to have his same heart that he has for people who don't know him. So every day I'm just sitting still going, God, would you give me a heart for that? Would you give me a heart for people who don't know you? Like, would you let me see them the same way you do? Would you break my heart? for what breaks your heart. And so that isn't meaning I won't do something one day. Oh, I'll do something. But it just means right now I got to ask him to change my heart. In that. And so some of us, they got to do the same thing with our spouses. Give us a heart for our spouse. Give us a heart for our kids. Give us a heart for our boss. Like there's something in there that something is hardened in us and we're seeing it and we're seeing irritation in it. And that's, I think, a key that we got to go back and go, God, would you, would you, Please, 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 please do this. And yeah. so that would be what I'd offer to whoever, whoever you are, whoever this is trying to work through all these things. It's just basically saying, hey, what, what, what you got to do is you got to figure out, okay, God, can you give me a heart for what you have? And I know the only way I can get that is to sit still before you. Yeah. you now, by the way, in Exodus uh, 14, really interesting passage that a lot of people quote, the same people that like the, the Mary person. They go, you need not fight, just be still, or the Lord will fight for you, just be silent or still. I love that passage because what's just happened is they're exiting. So they're moving. Um, About to cross the Jordan River. Is that right? Uh, Red Sea, sorry. About to cross the Red Sea, Joshua Jordan River later. And all the Pharaoh's army is coming after him. And they're freaking out. And he's going, you don't need to worry about this. I got this, Moses. And then, so he says, just let me fight for you. And then the very next verse, Exodus 14, 15 says, quit your whining. Why are you whining to me? Get a move on it. So it's not like this means you just sit forever. It just means... Sit still, don't fear, and don't fight, right? Imagine that wailing. And then get God's perspective of what he's called you to, and then go do that. So sit still, don't fear, don't fight, and don't whine, right? And then get his perspective and go do what he calls you to do. So uh, maybe that's some more tangible than he must increase, I must decrease. It's Maybe right now it's God telling you that you got to sit still, right? Don't fight this. Don't have fear. Don't whine about it and ask him to give you his heart for whatever it is. And then he's going to go, why are you still sitting here? Go do something about it. And so I think I think it's that ebb and flow. of, And this isn't a one-time thing. It's each time you find your heart get a little hardened or get a little irritated, it's going, okay, there's got to need some heart maintenance in this. Let me go back to it. Sit still before God. and just, so the, you know. I just feel like that, so the simple answer, how does he increase and I decrease yeah. is just to abide. Yeah, like to rest in him. Sit in his lap. And it made it makes yeah. me even think. I think it was a story by Billy Graham in one of his books or something, where he talked Who's about that? this. Uh, <laughs> talks about this Eskimo um, that I, apparently I'm sure people would disagree with the story, but something about some Eskimo would always have these two dogs fight, and this Eskimo could always pick out which dog would would be victorious in the fight and some and he did it with like perfection 100 percent accuracy and somebody asked him how do you always pick the winning dog and he goes it determines on which one i feed yeah so it's and kind of billy graham yeah. makes this comparison of saying we have two 
kind of dogs at war within us of going, we have our flesh and our spirit, yeah. and which one we feed determines which one wins out. So yeah. hopefully that doesn't overcomplicate it or no, it's really, you know, really take away from yeah. what you no, just I said. But, good. But I think it's yeah, one last thing I'll say, and then I'll let you wrap this up. Yeah. yeah, what's interesting about that, I'd ask the same question. Yeah. Because I really want my life to count. I want to be a good steward of all my time and energy. And frankly, I have a lot of energy. Not everybody has yeah. the same amount of energy, so I want all the energy to count. And so every day I don't want to waste it. I want to do something really well. And so what I find helpful, and I hope you do as well, is in John 15, he literally says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So even in that that ego state of going, I just want to do something that matters for the kingdom. Well, logically, what he's saying here is you're not going to. Absent him. So you can keep fighting. I can keep fighting it. But apart from him, we can do nothing. So either we believe that's true, and we get up every morning asking God to give us his heart, or you're going to spend your day doing nothing. Yeah. And I, frankly, you probably feel the same way. Don't want to do nothing. And so yeah. let's do something together. And the only way we can do that is sitting in God's lap. Yeah. So. Well, that brings us to our hour mark. So I want to thank you guys for joining us. For those of you that are listening uh, on our podcast, thank you for subscribing to that if you want to. Um, we'll be back next week. If you have questions, email us at overtime at clcfamily.church or just drop it in the offering plate on the back of the bulletin. So thanks. Have a great week. You don't have to drop money with it if you're wondering. Yeah, you don't. Okay, that's it. See ya. Bye. Bye.